Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dean Meadows here for another episode of Dean's Dialogue in association with The Daily Apologist. Some real quick news and notes for you all before we get into the program. This Friday, we're going to go ahead and post the new episode of Reasoning with Ralph. And our episode, we're going to talk about the nature of truth. Is truth objective, subjective? Do we, can we even know truth? How do we identify truth? And what are some of the historical events in Western civilization that have led to even having this discussion about whether you can know truth is objective, subjective? So that's going to be really fun. Really appreciate Dr. Ralph Gilmore for taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat with me. And that will be posted Friday. Also, Really want to encourage everybody to go and check out CultureCast by Jack Lipsy. He's a colleague of mine at The Daily Apologist, has done some amazing work so far, and will do amazing work into the future with that. An amazing podcast. Got to check that out. Also, Force Antimasaras, who is a student at Freed Hardeman, is now running the other arm of The Daily Apologist, The Apologetics Report, and has a podcast associated with that. That will be posted uh, today, today is Tuesday the 23rd. That'll be posted later this afternoon. And we are so excited for Forrest and the Apologetics Report. It's a very unique site. It is a site that aggregates uh, apologetics articles from around the globe. And I've looked at it multiple times uh, for blog ideas. And, and I've been you know, surprised to see that some of my own blogs are, are on there. So Really appreciate Forrest and the work that he's doing for the organization there. So go ahead and check that out. Now, if you're in South Carolina or Georgia, I will be in Crawford, South Carolina at the Crawford Road Church of Christ on November 3rd for two sessions, one before lunch, one after lunch. The first one is dealing with the need for apologetics in the church. And also in the second session after lunch, we'll talk about how to apply apologetics in the workplace. So if you're at the Crawford Road or near the Crawford Road Church of Christ, uh, that'll be November 3rd. Then in Georgia at at the Lithia Springs Congregation on November 10th and 11th, I will be, I and Nathan Liddell and Jack Lipsy will will be doing an apologetics workshop there. So make sure if you're in that area, go ahead and check us out. So Those are the news and notes, so now let's roll into the program. The last time that we got together, we talked, we did an introduction, or I did an introduction to uh, significant variance in the text, and there's two really interesting classifications of significant variance. One one aspect of that is the, the smaller ones, which are like two to three lines, and that's what we looked at in 1 Thessalonians the last time we got together today is one of the more famous ones and the one that really I think makes a lot of people in the church squirm a little bit and 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 that's okay we're going to go ahead and deal with it that's why we we do what we do with the daily apologist and so this this revolves around the long ending of Mark chapter 16 now if you have your bible with you or you have the ability to safely access your phone or tablet. Don't don't uh, reach for those things while you're driving. Um, but if you can safely access those, go ahead and, and look 
at Mark chapter 16. And what you'll notice is at verse 9, there's a bracket that starts there. And that bracket ends at verse 20. And so one of the questions that I always get, whether uh, you know I'm studying Mark or with a group of Christians or whether... You know, I'm doing a Q&A sometimes, or somebody contacts me on Twitter or by email. They'll ask me, why are these brackets here in Mark chapter 16? And here's why they're here. While a lot of older manuscripts that date later than the 5th century have the long ending or some variation of the long ending at the end of the Gospel of Mark, the earliest New Testament manuscripts in the Codex Sinaiticus and Vaticanus do not contain the long ending, nor do a variety of Coptic text, Armenian text, and Georgian texts as well. They just don't have it there. Also, what a lot of Greek scholars will note is that the Greek style of the long ending from verses 9 to 20 differs dramatically from the rest of the Gospel of Mark. So, the evidence seems to point to the idea that the long ending of the Gospel of Mark is not original text, that it was inserted there later than the 5th century. Now, some of those reasons might be that some scribes went and tried to fill in the gaps somewhere, tried to harmonize with other scriptures, things like that. Long story short, don't know why they did it, but they did it. So... The question that we have to ask is, okay, if verse 9 through 20 is not original and we're stuck with verse 8 where it says, you know, after they were told, after the women who discovered the empty tomb were told to go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you in Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. It says in verse 8, and these are the women, that they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That seems like a really weird ending. The women are startled, they're afraid, but they're told to go and tell Peter and the others, and they don't do it. So what in the world is the purpose of this ending of the Gospel of Mark with the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb not following through on the directive? And the plain answer is, we just aren't sure. We don't know. It's very similar to the ending of, of Acts and the fact that it seems like the story isn't complete. But a couple of things we need to realize. One, I don't know the intention of Mark having this there. In the same way, I don't know why Luke didn't fill in the ending of the book of Acts. But some people have looked at it, some scholars have looked at it, and they've taken into account the time period of Mark's gospel and who Mark was most likely writing to. And one such person is Craig Blomberg, a New Testament scholar out of Denver Seminary in Denver, Colorado. And what he states is that Mark is most likely writing to Roman Christians in the 60s as persecution was increasing against Christians there. So no doubt that there were many Christians who were afraid, who felt they had failed their Lord and Savior. And so by adding or by having this ending, 
what Mark is doing is he's putting everybody on the same playing field because up until this point, it's the male disciples who have kind of fumbled the ball in multiple situations and circumstances. And now it's the women. And so what Mark is, is saying is you're not the only ones who have failed. Even the earliest disciples failed, both men and women. Everybody's on the same playing field. But just as they had an initial lapse in their faith, they eventually found the strength through their faith in Jesus, and God did great things through them. And, and I think that, that Blomberg's possibly onto something here, because if you pair that with Paul's writings, uh, which were in the 60s as well, and the other Gospels, which I believe, you know, outside of John, were before A.D. 70, it's quite possible that these Roman Christians had access to those writings as well. And so you pair those writings with Mark's Gospel, and they can put the pieces of the puzzle together and say, yeah, they did initially, the women did initially have this lapse, but man, God did go on to do great things with these people. Look at Paul, look at Peter, look at these these women. They're there in the upper room in the in the in the book of, of Acts as well. And from our perspective, two thousand approximately two thousand years down the line, we can see the historical evidence that that is the case that took place with the Roman Christians who were being persecuted in the 60s, and the church in general, because within three centuries, Christianity went from being the persecuted religion to being the religion of the empire. Um, So that's just something that um, Blomberg says, but then, then I have made an amendment to that in adding the writings of Paul and the other Gospels. So... The other question that we want to answer is, does this damage the reliability of the New Testament historically? So even with the long ending, whether we accept that or reject it, a couple of things here. It doesn't damage the accuracy of the manuscripts because we have 99.5% accuracy of those manuscripts of what was written. So if these are later editions and the earliest manuscripts say that it wasn't there, then it's okay to toss those out. We have what was accurately written in those earlier manuscripts in Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. The other thing that we need to make sure that we understand is that even whether we keep it or reject it, it doesn't undercut any core doctrines of Christianity. So that's another thing. Now, if the long ending or the ending, if the long ending said said something like, and Jesus didn't rise from the tomb, uh, everybody had a mass hallucination, and that was actually something that was true, and that was early, and that was in the original writings. Well, then we've got a really big problem, but we don't have anything like that with this long ending. So we shouldn't be worried about that, about this as a matter of faith. So, for instance, when guys like Bart Ehrman and others start along this line, what they'll do is they'll appeal to Mark right out of the gate. Uh, They'll take the most drastic example of the variants, and what they'll do is they won't put them in context or give the overarching perspective regarding the variants of the New Testament. They won't tell you that even if you took these variants and you spread them out across the 25,000 manuscripts that we have, that it comes up to anywhere between 8 to 16 per manuscript. They're not going to lead out with that. They're going to take the most dramatic one, not give the context, not give the overarching perspective, 
and they'll say something like this. So if we have a passage of such length that was not original in the New Testament books, but were inserted later, might there not be numerous other places where something that we now read wasn't there initially? And what, what Blomberg says in his book, The Historical Reliability of the New Testament, he says, as seen before, the chances of that being the case while escaping all record in the textual t traditions we now have is virtually none. So that's reassuring that, that we're probably, in, in all probability, most likely not going to find anything else outside of the two big variants that we have. The first one is what we've covered so far in Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. Uh, the other one that we're going to look at the next time that we get together is John chapter 8. And so one of the things that you need to remember about these variants is that this stuff, number one, has been covered and covered and covered and covered. And what we always find, uh, and what I'm going to seek to show, is that this stuff does not undercut core Christianity. Take it or reject it doesn't undercut core Christianity. But what I'm trying to give you is the proper perspective of these variants. I'm not saying that they aren't there. And I'm not saying that there weren't, you know, scribes at some point in time that probably did or or did insert these things for whatever reasons they had. I'm saying is that the even in light of that, the Bible can be relied upon as a historical, accurate document because the variants, while they call them significant variants, they don't undercut the accuracy or the historicity of the New Testament or the doctrines of Christianity. And if we understand those three things, then we can have all of the assurance and all the confidence that what we are reading in the New Testament was what they wrote back 2,000 years ago. So once again, thank you for tuning in. Go ahead. Please, please, please like us and follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook uh, the Daily Apologist for all of those. And have a great day. God bless. And remember, equip yourself to engage culture.